It is with an excited and thankful hearts, no doubt that each of us have assembled this, this very morning. And certainly it would be appropriate to again state a word of thanks and appreciation to Brother Jonathan who delivered the lesson last Lord's Day morning in my absence. Very thankful indeed for the talent, the willingness, and the eagerness of the men of this congregation to step forward and do whatever the elders ask of them, to preach, to lead singing, to teach in any way that they might well be asked. It is such an exciting thing to listen to the Word of God as it's presented to us. And this very morning, I would invite us to think about that brief passage that Brother Joy read just a moment ago from verse 11 of 3 John. As we move in that very direction, some introductory thoughts pointing us in the character of the lesson today might well be these. Think with me for just a moment about the word imitation. We do know many times that as we think about imitation, it can in fact be an encouraging thing or it can be a very sad thing. Sometimes when we go to the store, we don't want imitation products. We want the genuine article. On the other hand, there are times when we think about the word imitate as a verb that means to follow or to be like someone else. I wonder in what way that word might be helpful to us as we consider verse 11 of the book of 3 John. Over the next few moments this morning, as we give thought to that particular passage, I would invite you to note some of these introductory features and then we'll shed a bit more of the spotlight on that very verse itself. 3 John is a very short book near the end of the New Testament. In fact, it has but one chapter. And that one chapter has but 14 verses. In fact, it is one of the shortest of all the books in the Bible. Amazingly enough, this brief little book, though, is chocked full of powerful information. The Word of God, in fact, doesn't need very many verses to set forth a great amount of truth. Speaking of truth... The word truth is one of the key words of the book of 3 John. Even though the book only has 14 verses, that word truth appears six times. Six times in 14 verses. It's not difficult to appreciate the fact that truth is a critical part of the thinking of John and a great matter in the words of the Holy Spirit on this occasion. But in addition to that, it was written by the Apostle John that same gentleman who penned for us the Gospel of John, the book of 1 John, 2 John, and Revelation, all of them help us see the beauty and majesty of the first century church and the nature of how necessary the truths still are today. It was written to a gentleman named Gaius. Verses 1 and 2 highlight this Gaius as a very powerful individual in that he was called Beloved. Not only that, he was commended so highly in this book. As you read through 3 John, you'll notice he was commended for the hospitality and generosity that he showed to gospel preachers, missionaries who labored to proclaim the beautiful words of truth. In addition, he was commended so highly for his stance with he and his family in matters that were right. I wonder if Jesus Christ were to pen a letter to you and me today, would He commend you and me for the stance we take toward truth and for the leadership we give to our family in those matters of truth? Could something similar to what was stated about Gaius be stated about you and me? That's a reflective question, isn't it? And it's a rather sobering question. However, look even further. 
there were some individuals in this book that were not complimented. Look at verse number 9. Mention is made of a gentleman named Diotrephes who in fact wrought much havoc in the church. He did so by being divisive. He did so by being selfish. He did so by lifting high the banner of his preferences rather than the declarations of truth. We notice finally in verse 12, mention is made of a gentleman named Demetrius. Demetrius too was highly commended as one worthy of imitation. In light of all of those things, I would ask you to note the text then of verse number 11. We find verse 11 right in the midst, strategically located between the rebuke of Diotrephes and the encouragement to Demetrius. This very morning, we may be able to ask of ourselves, am I more like Demetrius or more like Diotrephes? And what about you? Are you more like Demetrius or are your tendencies and behaviors more like, Di more like Di Diotrephes? Look with me at that verse 11. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. And immediately we have what seems to be a very profound and yet a very demanding passage. But then it goes on to say this, He that doeth good is of God, whereas he that doeth evil hath not seen God. I would invite you to think with me about some applications of that passage over the next few moments this morning. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. Near the close of that slide, you'll notice that as we've looked at some of the setups and some of the introductory features and remarks, some of these thoughts are now prepared for us for consideration. I would invite you first to notice the language itself. Follow not that which is evil. That word follow comes from an original word that literally means to imitate. We thus see the application of that word we used to begin the lesson. Do not behave like choosing to imitate that which is evil. But on the other hand, choose to imitate that which is good. The whole subject of imitation is then one that challenges us like this. As John began that writing, he used the word beloved. A very tender and compassionate statement reminding this Gaius and others to whom he may share the message about the urgency and pertinence of this. That word urgency I would invite you to look at this way. Though you and I may not be scholars in Greek, one thing it's easy to learn is this. That word that's there, the word follow in your King James translation. If you're reading in another, the word imitate is probably the one that's employed. The mood of that word is imperative. Now, that means the following. That means that this is an immediate and urgent matter. It's not something to delay till tomorrow. It's not something to wait till next week. It's not something to put off till next year. This is an urgent thing. John wrote and said, let me tell you, you at once and with greatest of heed and immediacy follow, that is to say, imitate what is good and not what is evil. The tendency of that day and certainly of our own is to follow and imitate in so many ways what is evil. Think with me for the next few moments about some of what that involves. 
as we move in that direction, some of the remainder of that verse might be needful for us to quickly consider. Notice a statement is made, imitating good rather than evil. But he immediately follows that with this, those that do good are of God. Could anything greater be said about an individual than that? That he or she is of God. But much to the contrary, those that do evil do not even know, they haven't seen God. In a moment, we'll give some additional consideration to what that means and some ways you and I can consider it. For now, let's look back at imitation. Imitation. I choose that as the first major element of the lesson this morning. We've already highlighted the nature of what was stated about the word imitate. It means to behave like someone else. To choose to in fact follow their example. May I suggest to you that really we live in a time when imitation is a hard matter. There was a time when heroes could be found and you didn't have to look that hard for them. They rolled across the TV screen. I've heard many speak about the goodness that was found in the Lone Ranger. And Roy Rogers and Gene Autry, they were individuals that could serve at least in the characters they portrayed. As those who were truthful, they did what was right, they strove to lift high the banner of general goodness and often that which was of God. Quite often a parent, someone who in fact stood strong and firm in attachment to the truth and they lived the banner of rightness. And what a great role model dad might have been or grandpa. Sometimes it might have been a teacher. Someone who in fact began class and gave consideration to truly what was right. They didn't allow you to get by with doing anything less than your best. Sometimes maybe it was a friend. Someone who again generally due to their concern and best interest for your welfare or mine would even say things that were harsh. You need to change and do better than this. Perhaps as the years have rolled by, we've often looked back on those with the courage and love who told us something like that. Heroes. We live in a time today when heroes are not that easy to find. Families are broken. Many children grow up and don't even know their father. They don't even know anything about grandpa. They don't have a role model like that who can look, they can look to and give thought to someone dedicated to the Word. Furthermore, when they give thought to what they see on TV, sometimes it's selfish professional athletes. Be like Mike. That was a slogan so often used with respect to Michael Jordan. Many have grown up wanting to play basketball like him. Few, of course, are able to do so. Think about all the other athletes that in so many ways act selfishly. They run roughshod over the concerns of others because they want to be at the pinnacle and they want all the glamour and the glory. Do you want to be like that? There are others who are fashionable pop singers and other kinds of artists who often sing profanity-laced songs they live in great gigantic mansions, but all the while, what do they do in terms of integrity and truth? Do you want to be like that? Do I want to be like them? 
our youngsters need role models. There needs to be some person in their life who is the exemplification of truth. Look back in 3 John and read verse 4 with me. This is a very powerful verse, and it's one that's a favorite of our family. Notice that John, as he penned that, made an interesting statement of how happy, how excited, how lovely it was for him to give thought of seeing thy children walk in truth. When you think about your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren, what brings you the greatest prize of consideration? That they aspire to play football, run track, play basketball, be a good bowler? Does it bring you the greatest prize to give thought of how good they can do in school and the grades that they achieve and earn? Or is the greatest prize that they're members of the body of Christ? Is the greatest prize their knowledge of this book? Is the greatest sense of interior pleasantry that you feel that they're Christians? May I submit to you that when John addressed Gaius, he was so thankful that Gaius' children were members and were walking in truth. I would hope that each of us could feel the same and we could feel the same degree of excitement. Oh, it's true. When we see our children excel in sports, and we watch them from the sidelines, and they make a good play, and they make the right decision, and they behave in a way that benefits the team, it brings us interior pride. But there's nothing that can equal watching them partake of the Lord's Supper and do so faithfully and appreciate that they have set a course that leads them into everlasting glory. Imitation, it's a powerful thought, isn't it? I know each of us as mothers and as fathers would strive, if we're thinking rightly, to set before them an example of righteousness and truthfulness so that we could hopefully have them say that I want to be like Dad. He didn't miss church services. As long as he was able, he was there. Can your children say that about you? Can they say about your integrity and concern for the Word of God? Do they see in you exemplified a love and respect for the truth as God has set it forth? As you think about the notion of imitation, there are some passages in the New Testament that in fact have more to say about this. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse number 1, on that occasion, as Paul addressed the church in Corinth, he simply said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. There is our greatest one to imitate. My friend, may each of us strive to be like Christ. Paul said, Be followers of me, and that word followers in the Greek means imitators. You imitate me to the extent that I imitate Christ. First and foremost, may we look to the, to the Son Himself and strive to emulate what we see in Him in our lives. Philippians 2.5 says, Let the mind of Christ be also in you. Do you and I strive to have the mind of Christ? Do we strive to allow His thinking, His perspective, His motivation, and His objective be our own? May we ever have that desire. Paul, notice again, said, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. May I submit that that 
is a great challenge to each of us. I've been mentioning our children quite often and our grandchildren and other youngsters whom we're able to influence. Are you and I able to say to that youngster, son or daughter, follow me, imitate me to the extent that I imitate Christ? Our lives ought to be an open book to where we could say that. Our lives ought to be an open testimony, an open declaration, so that we could honestly say to them, You imitate me to the extent that I imitate Christ. Paul openly made that statement to the Corinthians. Can you and I openly make that statement today? Are there things you and I should change in our lives because we don't want little Johnny to see us do this? We don't want little Mary to see me doing and behaving like that. If there is, friend, we need to make some changes and make them fast. Because those little eyes are going to find out. Little Johnny's going to learn what Dad was doing that he ought not have been. Little Mary's going to come to appreciate Dad was somewhere he ought never have been. Be sure the truth will find you out. In the words of Exodus 32, 23... I might submit that we find here a very simple statement to Gaius. Beloved, follow not, imitate not that which is evil, but that which is good. Gaius was admonished, you imitate in your life what you find to be good. As you can see near the bottom of that slide, not only was that statement in 1 Corinthians 11 made by Paul, but two more very similar to it were made. In Ephesians 5 verse number 1, to the church in Ephesus, he also was able to say, Be ye followers of God as dear children. They were admonished to follow, to imitate God. You and I are so greatly blessed then in comparison to many in that age. They didn't have the written word as you and I do. We can open this and read what Jesus was like. We can read time and again what God did, what He said, what He affirmed, and how He behaved. You and I can appreciate that needfulness in our life. As we reach this point in the lesson, might we then ask, who is your hero? Who are you imitating? Is it some of these individuals we've mentioned who really aren't worthy of imitation? Or are you imitating someone who truly is worthy of imitation? In Philippians 3.17, on one final occasion, Paul said, Be ye followers, that is, imitators of me, as ye find in me that which is worthy of example. That indicates we each then need to be studious, doesn't it, with respect to this book, so that we can know by definition what is good, for goodness is of God. That's the very teaching of this verse before us. God defines what's good. Our world tries to define it. Our president tries to define it. We have legislators that attempt to assert what in their view is good, but my friend, the basic definition must always rely on this because it's God that's good. He that doeth good is of God. That's a statement the Holy Spirit made. What I think is good might not qualify because it might be opposed to this book, but God never contradicts Himself. When you and I consider that which is good... May we turn time and again to this. For didn't Jesus say on one occasion, when the rich young ruler came to him and said, Good master, what good thing must I do in here eternal life? The first thing Jesus said, There is none good but God. Read Luke 18. 
that goodness then that we find here is something you and I should strive then to imitate. Perhaps one final thought would be this. That imitation that we've described, very last statement. There are others who are able to do and who do that which is worthy of imitation. We noted earlier, Paul did say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Young people, look, find that person or perhaps that group of people who truly strive to the best of their earnest ability to follow this book and strive to imitate them. Look up to them, respect them, learn, to, learn from them how they live their life. Don't use so many things in the world as that which is your hero. I know the days of Roy Rogers and Roy and or Gene Autry seem to be long past. You can't even find them on TV hardly anymore. But there still are good people there. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's someone you know in the church here. But someone who loves the truth and strives with all their ability to follow it and imitate them. Choose your heroes very carefully. It is to be noted beyond that that this verse does go on to say this. In addition to the significance attached to imitation, we notice there are but two choices. He said, follow not that which is evil. Imitate not that which is evil. It is no great surprise that our world makes it easy to imitate evil. And sometimes it can happen so gradually we know that there are individuals that choose to do the wrong thing. They choose to do what's evil. They choose to be influenced in such a way that they deliberately do what is not right. Sometimes they can be very forceful people. Sometimes they can in fact put you and me on the spot so that we must make a choice that if we aren't careful we'll imitate what they're doing that's wrong. We must be strong and wise. At the same time, we must carefully consider some of the thoughts on this slide. I have witnessed it more than once. A very heated exam is taking place. A great amount is on the line. Perhaps a student, if he or she does not do well enough, will fail. They will be forced to retake the class. They'll be forced to tell dad and mom, I failed the class. And depending on how firm and Dad might be, that could be an unpleasant conversation. And so they cheat on the exam. The person nearby they think is knowledgeable enough to do well, and so they're caught cheating. Oh, they were basically good people, no doubt. But in the heat of the moment, in the matter of the battle, when all of it was on the line, they gave in. They cheated. And they were caught. And now they have to face up to the consequences of that. Notice they imitated. Sometimes in conversation with them they say there were others cheating. So they thought they could get by with it too. They may have well been knowledgeable. There were others in the class also being dishonest. Others who were not faithfully taking the exam. And so they thought they could get by with it too. They imitated what was evil. Did it excuse it? It didn't. Did the dean take any lighter sentence upon them? No. May you and I be very cautious. 
it is tempting, isn't it, at times when it advantages us to imitate what's evil. We must be selfless. We must be those who do not give in to that consideration, but realize that God is always faithful. If it meant my failure of the exam, so be it. I should have studied more. I should have prepared better. I should have made a more intense character of making sure I was ready. There is no excuse for that kind of behavior, you see. Notice also, though, that a whole host of other examples might be given. You and I may have seen it on the, at the work site. Someone arrives at work but does not do what is supposed to be done. He doesn't do his duty. He gets himself in trouble and others alike. Do I behave that way when I say he can get away with it? I mustn't. We mustn't. Imitate not what is evil. Look at some of these other thoughts with me if you would. The context of this passage seems to be very leading. Let's make this application. Immediately after mentioning Diotrephes and all the wrongs that he had committed is when we find this passage. I would invite you to read beginning in verse number 9 concerning Diotrephes. Here's a gentleman, again, who is not lifted high for, for imitation. And the reading begins as follows. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Here's a discussion of a man who had chosen to behave in this way and immediately after that he now says, don't you imitate what is evil. It suggests that what Diotrephes had chosen to do was at least a large part of the evil that was being encouraged not to imitate. Well, what did Diotrephes do? He loved to have the preeminence. He wanted to be center stage, it would seem, in the church. Furthermore, it notes he used malicious words. He spoke harmfully. He spoke with great reproach about the rightful things that others had been doing for the truth. Do you and I ever slander the reputation of others when we do not know the facts? Do we speak evil and meanly about others when we may not know all the information that has led them to make the decisions they did? Notice he did not receive the brethren. He placed himself as the final standard with regard to the church. He overlooked the truth that the Lord had revealed. And in so doing, he forbade some and even cast some out of the church. The Christ had never given him that authority. Today, do you and I behave in such a way that we too lift ourselves up to a standard beyond that which is right and try to in fact go beyond the things that Christ has delegated for you and for me? If so, we seem to be in the very situation that Diotrephes was in. You'll notice that John said in verse 9 and 10, If I come, I will remember his deeds. Diotrephes hadn't just spoken some things. He had done some things. And these, John said, I will remember. And John would deal with them when the time came. Isn't it fair to say in light of all of that, 
that there are various admonitions that are challenging to you and to me. These admonitions I've tried to state in the following way. First of all, 1 Peter 3 verse 11. We read on that occasion about this commandment. You and I are to eschew evil, that is, turn aside from it. This passage in, first, in 3 John has told us, don't imitate it. We learn in that verse to turn aside from it. Don't meddle with it. Don't try to remain friends with that which is evil. It is too serious, isn't it? We cannot, in fact, try to be buddies with the devil on Saturday and be friends with the master on Sunday morning. It doesn't work that way. We can't spend six days in the citizenship in the devil's kingdom and then think that on Sunday we can make it all suddenly all right. This issue of imitation calls on us daily, doesn't it, to make some careful decisions. Who's my hero and who will I imitate? Is it going to be the things of the devil, the sons of Belial, the things of the world, or will it be the wholesome goodness we find instituted in the Word of God and those that strive to live by it? We seem to be in a world where fewer and fewer are making the latter choice. So many like the materialism and the carnality and the pleasantries of the world. And that's what they want. When asked, what do I want? I want a big house. I want a lot of money. Do you want nothing more than that? What about your soul? What about eternity? Where will you stand before God in judgment? Will a big house help you? Will a lot of money help you? We know from Revelation 18 that that money will be of no advantage then. As it has often been stated, hearses do not pull you halls. There's no need for it. You might also notice in this verse before us the admonitions of the next passage. In Romans 12, verses 3 and 10, we're reminded to, in fact, honor those that love the truth. And we're in fact urged, are we not, to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. That's the very eridotrophies made. I would invite us to notice as we come near the close of the last part of the lesson, to notice that our emphasis for the last few moments has been on not imitating evil. There is something though we should imitate. It's the good. Let's in fact end on that higher note in the following way. Imitating what's good, here's some thoughts that move us in that direction. It's often so easy to imitate the evil, isn't it? Friends who choose to smoke or to drink or to engage in free sexuality and often the pressure exerted, they make it sound so attractive and appealing. Even we who are older are faced to do other things that also are sinful and yet we notice that we're admonished not to imitate that. Don't smoke and drink just because somebody else does. Don't do it at all, period. And furthermore, don't engage in that free kind of immodest dress just because somebody else does. That doesn't excuse it and it doesn't make it right. Follow what's good. Here's some thoughts along that line. To follow what's good, again, goodness is of God. Follow what's good because God made you. He knows what you need. He knows what will make you happy. And He knows what will lead you to a good eternity. He tells you that. He tells me that. 
Let us be earnest in following then what's good. Some additional considerations. Notice these things in this book that were so good. Gaius. He was highly commended again for assisting the proclamation of truth. Do you and I do that? Do we lift up the hands of those who try to proclaim and live right? Sometimes, isn't it true, we each can be quick with a criticism. Are we as quick with a compliment? When those who earnestly have done something that took courage, are we there to let them know we appreciate it? I suppose that's one of the tendencies, isn't it? That we can be so quick to discourage when maybe we aren't as quick as we could be to encourage. 1 Thessalonians 5 reminds us time and again we mustn't forget the encouragement part. For all those reasons, some of the last thoughts on that slide. Perhaps in Genesis chapter 3 we find the matter of imitation even raised er that early in the Bible. Eve chose to imitate the devil. She followed what he told her. And she ultimately obeyed what he said. And then Adam turned around and imitated Eve. Again, following the way of error. Where was the imitation of the good in that scenario? Hard to find it, isn't it? Today, may you and I with courage strive to imitate what's good and not what is evil. For do we not know that what is, of, what is done as good is of God? You and I can be fellow helpers to the God of heaven, citizens in His kingdom, striving to do His will, and are reckoned as those who are joint heirs with Christ and heirs of God, Romans 8, 14 and following, to be of God. By the same token, if we do evil, we haven't even seen God. That's an interesting turn of words, isn't it? If you and I do evil... The text says we haven't even seen God. That reminds us that the character of seeing attaches to the reality of the very one we're dealing with. Now, we don't see God physically with our eyes. We understand He doesn't appear here in presence. But Jesus did say in John 14, If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. When we thus see Christ... We appreciate His stance in truth and we understand the declaration of what He has set forth and we eschew what's evil. We have gone a long way towards seeing God. But when we do what's evil, that means we have not appreciated what this teaches about sinfulness, the tragedy of it and the consequences of it and the guilt that comes with it. Jesus went to the cross and in that memorable scene we learn once and for all the error of evil. Evil's what sent him to the cross. That's what caused him to shed his blood. Without it, you and I had no hope. This very day, who are you imitating? Is it what's good or is it what's evil? We've only summarized this lesson simply with those three words. Imitation, evil, and good. And the choice is now yours and mine. It might be that there's one or more in this audience that has never yet rendered initial obedience to the commandments of truth. If that be the condition in your life, please think with great urgency. John again said, imitate, and the word was imperative in its mood. You're going to make a decision in just a few moments when we stand and sing this song. 
If you're in need of coming forward but don't, you are making a willful choice to spurn the invitation of Christ. You're saying, Jesus, right now I'm just not that concerned. Right now I'm just not that needful. Right now I just don't care that much. I'll wait for another day when it's more convenient, when there's a better opportunity. There won't be a better opportunity. And my friend, you may not be here tomorrow for the next opportunity, even if it comes. The plan of salvation involves this. Believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But don't stop at that belief. That belief must prompt you to do some things like repentance. Appreciating the statements of truth, turn aside from those sinful ways of life and strive to live differently, to live in a way that's harmonious with what Christ has taught. Confess the great name of Jesus as a Son of God and then in the culminating act of baptism allow His blood to wash your sins away. If you have done that, then live faithfully until death. That also notes this, if you've stumbled and fallen, if on that march toward eternity from the day of your initial obedience you are not now faithful, come back to your first love. You don't have to stay in that state. Just like the prodigal son came to his senses and came home, so too can you. Christ is waiting. He's wanting you to imitate what's good. Will you begin to do that today? Will you continue to do that? If we could be of help, why not let us know while together we stand and while we sing?